Hello. Hello, I'm Georgia. And I'm John. And today we're going to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. Mmm. Comfort Films Podcast. Season 2. Hello everyone and welcome to Comfort Films episode 69. Today we're going to be discussing Goodfellas, the 1990 Ray Liotta, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci starring film directed by Martin Scorsese, and we are happy to welcome Christopher Witte from Film Folk UK, Book Folk UK on Instagram. That's how we met him. And he also writes short fiction, which you can check out at christopherwitty.substack.com. Thanks for joining us, Christopher. Thanks for having me. And thanks for picking Goodfellas, which is a great film, and also enabled us to kick off a crime film month which John and I have been wanting to do for quite a while. Yeah, I've been wanting to crack some heads. <laughs> uh, this is a great movie. We we both love it a ton and have been thinking about trying to bring it in for a while, uh, not really knowing how to do that. But you opened the door for us by choosing it, and we snapped it right up. Uh, and we're really looking forward to this talk. Not only because we love the movie, but also because we're really happy to uh, finally meet and talk to you in person here. Uh, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> after having yeah, a, lot of, a lot of great chats uh, on Instagram. Yeah, it, it's crazy. It's crazy. You meet people online and then you talk to them. It's like we're dating, but we're yeah. movie buddies, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was the uh, the John Carpenter kind of thing that, that cemented it for me. And of course, your podcasts are great. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. I know. It's a, yeah, it's a wonderful life. One was superb. And uh, yeah, really good 2001. Very much enjoyed them. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And uh, we, I actually quite love that you have a book page and a film page on Instagram because I'm a huge reader um, as well as a movie buff. So it's nice yeah. to find another person who has that similar interest. And we found somebody else that likes Gods and Monsters, an incredible film. Yes. Yeah, well, I, I say I watched that solely on your recommendation. Boom. And it's um, all from her. I watched it because of her. Yeah. And then to you. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a wonderful yeah. movie. I would love to do that one sometime, but it gets really tough. <laughs> I don't know if I could make that a comfort yeah. pick. <laughs> it's so good. Though. It does get yeah, surprisingly tough towards the end. I noticed. Yeah, yeah. But uh, good film though, nonetheless. But, yeah, and sometimes that's what a comfort film is. It's just a great movie that you really love to watch, uh, and I think that's certainly the case with Goodfellas today that we're going to be talking about. So. Usually when we have a guest, we start off by asking, what makes this your comfort film pick? Okay, well, I'm a big Scorsese fan. I uh, started getting interested in films, seriously interested in films, probably when I was about maybe, I don't know, 13, 14. So when I was 14, I was, I was born 76, so that would have been when Goodfellas was released. And I wasn't allowed to watch Goodfellas because I was 14. I couldn't go to the cinema to watch it. Um, and my mum was a big film buff. So my mum's kind of introduced me to a lot of films, like all musicals and stuff like that. And, you know, all these great old black and white pictures and stuff. And the more I read about Martin Scorsese, the more I started to think, you know, I need to really explore some of his films. So I kind of like sneak taxi driver from the video shop and watch it. I was like, well, crap. You know, <laughs> I'm not letting my parents ever know I've watched this, not for about another four years, you know. So, uh, and then uh, there used to be a thing on TV in, in the UK called Movie Drome, which was a great program. It was on every Sunday. And uh, 
what they used to do. They used to have uh, the director, Alex Cox, who made Sid and Nancy and Repo Man, yes! stuff like that. Alex Cox. Do you remember? Alex <laughs> yeah, Cox. I love Alex great. Cox. And, yes. Well, at first, Alex Cox introduced it, and then he, he uh, passed it on to Mark Cousins, who's a film critic. Um, but anyway, what, what they used to do on a Sunday night, my parents used to go out every Sunday night to the pub, and they left us alone. You know, I'm the youngest of three children, so I was okay, so... And uh, but Movie Drum used to show kind of like cult movies, so show old B movies and David Lynch films and all this kind of stuff. And I think one of the, I think it was on Movie Drum that showed Raging Bull. Cause I remember being alone and Raging Bull came on, and I was kind of so unknowledgeable about films that I saw a black and white film and I thought oh, it's an old film, like maybe it was made in the forties or something. And then coming out with all this profanity and stuff and. Hang on a minute, what's, what's this? <laughs> so then, I mean, this was before the internet and everything, so I had no idea who who directed it or anything. And then I told my mum and dad about it the next day. So I said, I watched this amazing boxing film with Robert De Niro. And then I think it was one of my parents said, oh, that'll be Raging Bull. And he said, that's that Martin Scorsese guy, the guy who's made this Goodfellas film. So I was like, oh, well, I need to see Goodfellas. You know, I said, well, you'll have to wait until it comes out on video and all this sort of stuff. And then during the interim... Um, there was a, an art house cinema in um, in Manchester called the Corner House, and they showed four of Scorsese's short films, like two of his student films, and also Italian American, which was a documentary about his parents, and another one, Oh the Big Shave, which is one of his his kind of student films. So my mum took me to go and see it, and I watched it. I thought this is just incredible, and my mum. Even though she hates violence in films, she hated violence in films, I should say, and uh, she hated profanity in films. She loved the way Scorsese had this kind of uh, reverence for for family and the way a lot of his films, even though they were very forward-looking and the advanced filmmaking, he kind of also had one foot in the past. So it was kind of like, in a way, his films are sort of in between sort of classical old cinema but at the same time, they're very modern at the same time. And this is kind of triggered with my mum. And she said, I love the way he shot this and that. And so then when Goodfellas came out on video, I said, right, okay, we'll watch Goodfellas with you. But I mean, mum and dad weren't prudes by any means or anything like that. They let us watch certain horror films. Like horror films were okay because they were violent, but they were horror. So it was silly and it was all made believe. But Goodfellas was in a different ballpark entirely because it was like watching a documentary. So... When we put it on in the opening scene with Billy Bats in the trunk, my mum was like, oh, gosh. And she was like, are you okay watching this? Yeah, I'm fine. Like, the use of the F word in, like, the first 10 seconds about three times or something like that. Okay, my mum sat there rolling her eyes, and she's watching it. But at the same time, she's absolutely appreciating all these scenes of, uh, you know, like, the almost ritualistic way that they prepare food and that they all sit down together in this sort of, uh, you know, how much focus is shown on family you know his kind of extended family with all these mobster guys and everything but his actual family and she absolutely loved it but at the same time half the time she was like oh, can't watch that bit, watch bit. <laughs> you know covering her eyes so that was my kind of introduction to it properly goodfellas was that and that every time i watch it i'm reminded of my mum because of you know like Catherine scarsese the way she makes them something to eat and it really kind of, I don't know, I think that's why I find it comforting in, on what, in one aspect is because it kind of reminds me of my own family in in a way. You know, family aren't mobsters or anything, but it kind of <laughs> reminds me of that side of them. And, you know, it's, that's what kind of triggered it with me. And then the more I've watched it over and over and over and over, 
the more I've kind of just seen just how phenomenally well made this film is. I mean, it's unbelievably well made. It's perfect. So ahead of its time. Yeah. It is, and it's a total rule breaker. I mean, I read an interview with Scorsese um, recently. I watched The Last Temptation of Christ, and then I read this interview with him from the time. And he was saying, my next, my next pitch is going to be a mob movie. And he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and do something different. I don't want it to be like any other movie. He said, um, I want to just play around with structure and everything else. So and that's what he did. And it's just incredible how it's edited together and everything. It's just phenomenal. I love your story about watching it with your mom and, and how she reacted because we have a, <laughs> we have a similar story with John's mom. Oh, yes, we do. Because John's mother, uh, she she hates violence also. She really, you know, anytime there's any violent thing going on in a movie, she's covering her eyes and looking away. But there's this thing that she has, and it, it kind of sounds like with your mom, okay? Like this, it wasn't Goodfellas, but years ago, I was watching Dirty Harry at the house, Okay. Okay. And my mother, you know, again, not into violence. It's a very violent film. And yeah. my mother ends up sitting down. And I was like really surprised by this. And she just got so sucked into the story that she was really all for the movie. Like when he was right. trying to get the Scorpio killer, my mother was literally saying on the couch, get that son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like she came. The bloodlust starts coming through. Yeah. yeah. She comes outside of herself and really will surprise me sometimes, you know, with movies. And my mother, yeah. you know, is, is all Italian. So I'm half Italian. And she had okay. never seen Goodfellas. And so we were all together. She came out to visit us in L.A. We went to the Egyptian theater. We saw it on the big screen. It was. We a- went to Maselli's Italian restaurant first. Yes, yes, yes. So we loaded up oh, on uh, pasta and sauce. Yeah. And wine. And wine. <laughs> True. Yep. And then went next door to the Egyptian, which is a very famous uh, theater here, which is a great place to, to see a movie. We We loved it. Um, it's been shut down for a while because we're doing retrofitting and things, but um, it's a humongous screen and a huge uh, auditorium. So a ton, a ton of people can be stuffed in there. And I had right. not seen this at the movies. I don't know if uh, you probably didn't either. Because no. You're 12, uh, 13 when this yeah, came out. I was, I was 12. born in 77. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. So yeah, similar age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're like all in a row. And uh, yeah, so I think I'd seen it at home. You probably did too. So we're like, we wanted to see it. We were worried if she would want to see it or not, right? But we kind of sold her on it because we we're like, "Look, it's like all these, you know, Italian family, you know, you're even though it's super violent, we think you're going to like it." And she had a blast. She loved this movie. Yes, she was still horrified yeah. every time something happened. She's like hiding, you know. <laughs> but at the same time, it was just one of our best times that we've ever had with her. I think because it was just we're she loves movies and she loves good movies. So seeing yeah. this movie, which is a great film, really was a great experience with her. Yeah, and it was huge, too, because she got to celebrate her Italian heritage. She loves to cook. You know, she she loves to have everyone get together. This is really something that she likes to do. She loves to have these big gatherings. You know, it was yeah. funny because, you know, Italian-American, I had never seen it. You told me about it a while back, and I watched it. Mm-hmm. And Georgia watched it, too. And I have to tell you, I was like, oh, wow. Like, Catherine Scorsese and my mother, very similar. They like, could be very related. Similar. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, my gosh. That's cool. She seems yeah. like, uh, Catherine Scorsese seems like your mom's aunt, you know? Yeah, 
it, it's she crazy. actually looks right. similar to her um your aunt rita I yes i get like an aunt rita feeling from Catherine scorsese it's something you know, aunt rita was like the skinny little lady but <laughs> they have like a similar face and the puffy gray hair yeah, yes. and you know it's all like salon coiffed you know <laughs> yes she really... always wants the salon. it's all in americans great though isn't it and i think when you watch it as well you can see a lot of it in Goodfellas. Yeah, you know, like the rhythm of the speech. I mean, you'd know yourself, John, if you're you, Italian as well. But that kind of rhythm of the speech when they're talking, and you know, answering a question with a question and all the rest of it. It's like you can see how he's just he's drawn on all these kind of things, his own background, obviously, and things. And you know, the bit with uh, young Henry when he's looking out of the window at the cab stand, and Scorsese said himself when he was younger, he used to like look out of his window and across the street and see all these kind of wise guys and they'd all be sat around and every now and again a fight would break out or something like that. You know, he'd hear a gunshot go off. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, I think that's why it's so good. It's it's more of a kind of, I mean, obviously he wasn't a gangster, but it, it was more of a kind of an insider's view from the outside in a way. It's, it's yeah, yeah, it's really good. But I'm glad you watched Italian American. It's great. It's so good. It well, is. Yeah. yeah. I, I did. I, I thought it was so funny with, just the way his parents talk to each other, like <laughs> yeah, they're just uh, talking over each other, and and the dad yeah. is like, "Oh, stop putting on." <laughs> yeah, I, I love I love the way his mum as well. How Catherine um, asks all the kind of lighting guys if they want anything to eat. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're all kind of stood there with the, the boom and everything. It's like you can get you anything to eat and stuff. That was really cool. My mother totally, totally would have done that. I mean, yeah. the the things yeah. I've done over the years, I've always, you know, tried to work in my mother with with different like, <laughs> you know, projects that I have. I'll always bring my mother in. Like, you know, she was on the podcast. Like, she was on the second episode we did, defending your life with her. She did a short. Right. We did. Yeah. We used to do the short film series um like web series and she was visiting during that we made her be in that yeah and she was great improviser she's a really good actor she is good student movie back in college she played you know this guy's mother you know what i mean and i was just like okay just uh i don't know act like it's me boom she killed it well that's basically what martin Uh scorsese told Catherine scorsese to do in what's probably our favorite scene of this movie when when they have Billy yes. Bats in the trunk and they go to the mother's house. Yes. And That's the, the scene. And they're trying not to wake yeah. her up, but then they do. And then, of course, she just springs into action cooking, you know, full meal for them to yeah. eat in the middle of the night. My mother has, like, that kind of sense, too. Like, if she hears people up, she will get up. She will fall asleep, but if she hears you moving around, she'll instantly wake up like, hey, you want to do something? You want to get something to eat? You want me to bake you something? So it's like, I completely get it. They're just trying to tell her, it's okay, go to bed, relax. She's like, oh no, you're here, you know? That's my grandma too. My, my grandma used to be like that, like not Italian at all, but just the same thing. Like if she, if she knew yeah. you were coming over, there was going to be like 10 dishes on the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we used to kind of yeah. congregate in her kitchen. Like that's, that was kind of the the heart of the home where we would all just be sitting around the table all day, just talking and catching up. And with your mom, she kind of grew up with her family and her extended family kind of living all in the same yes. area. So they kind of could just walk outside and go next door and see you know, their aunt or uncle or whatever. So yeah, my aunt could literally, well, if she was at my aunt Teresa's house, she could literally walk out the back door in a straight line across the alley 
and walk over into my aunt rita's house like that was that was how close so the family thing like i do think that's something we've lost you know and really kind of a short time um is this this kind of extended family all living close to each other and you know having that and that's something i do really love about this movie because in this it's not just their you know biological extended family but like this gangster culture group kind of becomes their own extended family as well right and just like any family you know there's good things and then there's bad things and in this case they're really 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 bad things but i think that's something that's cool about this movie so like the other thing that's interesting about italian american is that there there's a couple like i feel like sly references because italian american is all about the food that's the big discussion making the sauce the meatballs we get the recipe at the end right and so charles and Catherine scorsese are arguing with each other about food and you know who makes it better and who taught who and Charles Scorsese is basically saying, you know, that there are men that are really great cooks. But then in Goodfellas, you know, he's in that scene in the prison, right? And he's screwing up with the sauce. He's putting too many yeah. onions on it. That's a, yeah. I think that's wonderful. Two cans. I have two cans. Of <laughs> it's really funny. The three small onions. The three small onions. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Uh, i think it's it's got to be one of the funniest non-comedies i think goodfellas you know that you know that makes me laugh it's not you know it's not a comedy by any means but i just cannot help laughing at these guys because they are funny and that's you know it's a very seductive film i think that's why like you say even people who don't like violent movies like you say like your mom and my mom and you kind of seduce in the same way Henry Hill seduced into that kind of lifestyle. And, you know, it's very seductive and they're likable. And every time they put their arm around him, you, th- you kind of think, oh, wouldn't that be great, you know, if I, if I was kind of included? <laughs> <laughs> it's true, yeah. And I think, like, the voiceover really kind of lends to this as well. Um, because, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of films have voiceover and a lot of times it's used you know, to cover something up. I mean, even we saw an interview with Nicholas Pileggi, who was talking about that. You know, he was initially, I think, concerned about using a lot of voiceover because that was his perspective, is that it's usually used to cover something, you know, bad. That's right. But in this, it's more like Shakespearean in nature to me. It's almost more like a soliloquy type thing where it gets you in on it with Henry Hill. Like, he's talking to you. And Ray Liotta is so good at this. And it just feels like he's talking directly to you. He's telling you the story. You're kind of getting in on it. And it kind of ends up having like almost like this Richard Third effect where you know this is kind of a bad guy who did bad things. But you really like listening to him. And you really feel like you're, yeah. you're a part of it. And it's yeah. so well done. Well, I think that's what the Scorsese said when he read the book. Um, is it, that's what what kind of made him wanting to make this movie because he read the book and it was just the way it was written was just like somebody sitting down and telling you the story which obviously is but it's the way he actually told the story you know it was uh and he's got a great voice as well really oh yeah and it actually it was like i think you georgia told me this so when he did the voiceover there was actually somebody there with him and so Ray Liotta was actually talking to someone else. And that's why the voiceover sounds so good. Yeah. Like he's talking to you. It was like, I guess, from right. what I understand, it was like his idea that he 
wanted to have somebody there. So it was, instead of him just like reading into a mic, he's like talking to somebody, telling the story. And I think you can really tell because yeah, it has like a storytelling feel to it. And I mean, yeah, he's he's so good. And this was only like his fourth movie. Wow. I know. Which is and crazy. you know and acting alongside some serious heavyweights there with De Niro and Pesci as well in Paul Savino, you know, that must have been daunting. <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah. Well, it said he was scared. Like he said himself, he's like, "Look," he said, "I wanted to to get this," and he goes, "I had a lot of meetings with with Scorsese." He goes, "I you know was listening to these tapes of." Uh, of Henry Hill, mm -hmm. like talking and telling these stories, and like Henry Hill's like right. eating potato chips while he's telling these stories about yeah. murdering people. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and yeah, he just he. It took him a long time to. It took Leo a long time to get this job. Eight or nine months. Yeah, and then when he finally did, he said he just kind of threw himself into it so much that it's just like all he thought about. But he was also yeah stressed because he, you know, he's in here with Robert De Niro, oh, yeah. who even at that time was like just untouchable kind of as yeah, this huge legendary. actor and he was just nervous to work with him but i think he, i think de niro was like look kid it's gonna be fine just don't worry <laughs> because, yeah, yeah you know like to reassure him but i feel like he holds his own and oh. more i mean yes oh without a doubt without a doubt yeah i mean he does he does own that film really it's his know, movie i think it, it is i mean and then obviously you got pesci as well he probably has the most memorable scenes and the most memorable lines, but it's, it's Ray Liotta all the way through. Like I say, from the first line of dialogue, um, I, I think he literally speaks the first line of dialogue actually in the film, and then he's obviously his voiceover narration is just a constant thing. Like I say, I've never heard voiceover narration used like that in any other film except for a Scorsese film. Yeah, like, you know, he did it in um, Casino and then again in Wolf of Wall Street, but. And it's so easy to forget with Goodfellas because it's been imitated so many times. I mean, without Goodfellas, there'd be no American Hustle. There'd be no War Dogs, which sucks anyway. But, <laughs> <laughs> what was the other one? Boogie Nights. Great, you know, great oh, yeah. films. But the way they shot and edited and the structure, the American Hustle is just a Scorsese film. I mean, it's a good film, but have you seen American oh, Hustle? Of course. It was actually shot. Yeah, it's a very good film. It was shot in Worcester, Mass. when we lived there. Yeah. So, uh, right. yeah. Yeah, we're big. I mean, yeah, there was like a guy from high school I knew that was in it, and there yeah. was like uh, I like American Hustle, and I like Christian Bale. Yeah, you know, pretty much. Yeah, in it's everything. a great film. Cooper, but, yeah, Bradley no. Cooper, I really like him. Oh too. god, yeah, he was great. Yeah, but yeah, it it does owe well, Amy pretty Adams. Much, yeah, everybody. Pretty much any crime movie that came after yeah. this owes tons to the style of this movie because it did kind of a lot of genre defining things yeah. and that uh boogie nights you mentioned has just another one of those tracking shots like the copa tracking yeah. shot mm -hmm. that is used in a very similar way to kind of seduce you into the lifestyle along with you know the characters um and i think that yeah it's it's so <laughs> It's so referential, like every, all of these movies are so referential to this movie, and just, I mean, so many things. Like, I could just do a litany of things in this movie that just changed everything. Like, I think Scorsese's yeah. use of music is really something that I don't think I've ever seen anyone else do. 
he takes the Rolling Stones, which are already incredible, and in my mind, he makes them even better. He like turns them into like Greek gods, you know, like <laughs> yeah. Gimme yeah. Shelter is what they listen to on Mount Olympus. <laughs> And Monkey Man as well. Yeah. <laughs> Zeus gets down that, to Monkey Man. And he uses it twice. He uses like one part of it, and then I think he plays another track and then goes back to the other scene. This is when it's all getting very choppy with the editing and when, you know, uh, Henry Hill's coked out of his mind and he's got he's dropping the guns off and the <laughs> parts that don't fit and all the rest of it. And then it goes back to Monkey Man again, and it's like, jeez, you know, this is like overload. <laughs> that part of the movie but is the, so I, intense. Like, it just ratchets up to a level that's nearly unbearable <laughs> yeah yeah but again we're still worried about the pasta you know we're still worried about the sauce and the meatballs <laughs> yeah. which i love yeah. i love that is it he just, stirring yeah. the sauce yeah is he stirring it it's almost stirring it well that's it because he's, he's like his mind's on on one level which is basically you know way up here <laughs> and everything's kind of equal so his, his fix is equal his coke is his, uh this big thing is his shipment he's got coming through uh, the pasta sauce and the guns, and they're all running parallel with each other, and like not one thing takes more importance over the other. So it's just like, I mean, to put a pasta sauce in line with uh, a, a, a huge coke delivery, you know, it's like, okay, this guy's, you know, this guy's gone. <laughs> yeah, and the Lufthansa heist he's worried about, and I never thought and the about coke that. and. The, and then Lois's hat. Oh, the hat. Oh, jeez, Lois. <laughs> oh, Lois. Killing me. She's such yeah. an attitude she has. That she Lois. Does, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. And then she uses the phone. Like, she uses the phone. Well, a lot of people are stupid in this movie. There's, I said this, like, when we were watching it last night, and they're just in the Lufthansa heist, and then every idiot has showed up with some big-ticket item that they bought. Right. I'm like, Jimmy, over here, like, what's going on? Why are they buying all this stuff? <laughs> but then Frankie Carbone, though. I mean, let's, th- let's do a little Frankie Carbone. I really enjoy Frankie Carbone. Frankie Carbone yeah. comes in, you know, he has, like, the, the fur. The wife the- has the fur, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he, like, totally takes it, and he's, like, apologizing. Okay, okay, all right. Well, Johnny you know? Roastbeef was just like, oh, it's a wedding gift, and he wouldn't let it go. <sighs> Johnny Roastbeef, huh? And then, uh, but Frankie Carbone is, like, instantly, like, balling up the fur and, like, let's go. We gotta give it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was I was willing uh, Johnny Roastbeef to just please stop talking. <laughs> oh, my God. Because I thought, you know, I was like, please don't say anything else because, you know, bad things are going to happen to you and, you know, intense film. It's In fact, every scene in that film has got this underlying violence all the time so that was what that's what makes it so tense all the time I mean, every the way that it starts off with the, the killing of billy bats at the start of the film it's like kind of saying right okay this is this is what these guys are like now i'm going to seduce you and see how this guy came to uh, henry hill came to you know be in this position and burying this this guy and you know and it's just so it's so believable i mean you shouldn't really have to see what they did to billy bats at the start of the film like these guys at all but it goes back and then you like them straight away and you think oh okay you know, i quite like to hang out with these guys <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> it gets you it does it really yeah. it does get you well i was gonna say the johnny Roastbeef thing kind of calls back to the early scene with the clown scene with tommy oh yeah and henry where you know tommy's just 
you know, messing around with Henry, but he's getting really angry and Tommy has a reputation for getting really angry. So, you know, he's like, how am I funny? What do you mean? You know, and he just keeps stringing him along. And the great thing about that shot, and we saw like a little interview with Thelma Schoonmacher about editing it is like, they really thought about how long were they going to hold on Henry before he realizes that Tommy's joking um, cause they wanted to build the tension, but they want it to be just right. And then they keep the shot kind of a medium shot. So you can see the reactions of everybody around them because it's not only Henry that doesn't know Tommy's joking. It's all these other people. They're like, Oh my God, is he going to like kill him? Cause Tommy will just kill somebody. Well, then that's why we, we have the spider scene, yeah. you know, the spider scene, yeah. like you can't believe he shot him in the foot to begin with, but you're like, all right, this is just stupidity, whatever we're moving on. And then, you know, later on, when, you know, Spider's back, he has the cast, and then he tells Pesci to go fuck himself. And then, you know, De Niro thinks it's great. He's like, yeah, I don't take any shit from anybody, kid. And he, like, gives him, I think, like, a $100 tip. He's like, that's for you. And then he's trying to egg Pesci on. He's like, you're going to let this punk get away with that? And then Pesci takes out the gun and just shoots him, you know? And it's, we, that's crazy to me, okay? Because I've been around, like, like gunshots on a set before. Okay. So it's like, you know, in the blanks, it's like you have gunpowder in there and you can do like a different amount of gunpowder depending on, you know, how much you want to feel of the recoil of the gun or, you know, the, the sound, whatever. The flash. The flash. Yeah. Flashes too. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like, and most of the time they do a half load. It's well, half is Jesus. Half is very loud. Like half is so loud. And, you know, so I was like, I'm, I'm aware of that. And so Joe Pesci said that he wanted to be angry enough that he could actually believe that he would kill someone. So he said to the, the you know, the prop people, he said, look, he said, I want a full load in this gun. So this thing is like right. super loud and it really has this kick. So when he shoots Spider, he can fully feel you know, th th this whole thing. And the way Michael Imperioli falls back on that bar, holy shit. Yeah. I mean, that is, I mean, he falls back, hits his head on the bar, goes all the way down. I was just like, okay, this is, this is impressive. <laughs> I think that was a turning point in the film as well, because Spider, I mean, this poor kid is, you know, he's, he's, he's just a kid, isn't he? He works in a bar, he's outside of the life. Yeah. Um, And I think that was a turning point when you're watching it, you're thinking, this is just the way these people are you know it's and, and the way they reacted after like you know you got jimmy conway saying you know you're gonna have to dig the hole i ain't got any lime <laughs> I just thought, okay i'll dig a <laughs> fucking like hole that, you know? yeah yeah that's the first hole Give me I a dug. shovel yeah well he's digging yeah. holes in casino also these guys just dig <laughs> holes oh, well yeah, yeah that's the life they live they got to dig holes so they can bury the bodies they've got to, uh, they've got to dig them back up because they're building condos oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah i can <laughs> feel Bass that has smell to come back again yeah that was horrible but yeah i mean i think the spider thing and the billy bounce thing are similar because i mean we're supposed to compare and contrast those scenes right because you have there it's a similar thing of tommy completely losing it on somebody who's kind of picking on him yep yep he's losing face in front of his friends yeah and it's disrespectful he thinks yeah, yeah and and with billy batch you can kind of understand it because yeah. billy bounce is not letting it go he's being a total asshole yeah everybody kind of knows it you know even jimmy says to billy like no you, you know you were kind of giving it to him there you know and so 
there's kind of like this justification that it's okay when he kind of goes off like that on Billy Bats, even though Billy Bats is a made guy, and that's kind of what's going to start everybody down this bad path Mm -hmm. of, you know, the eventual end. It seems justifiable that Tommy was that pissed. Whereas with Spider, Spider doesn't have, Spider's not a made guy. Spider doesn't have any power. And yet Tommy has the same kind of reaction to him saying, why don't you go fuck yourself? Which is kind of justified. Absolutely. I mean, (laughs) absolutely. I mean, the guy shot you in the foot. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a violent scene. And Pesci said that like, he said that the sound of the gun as loud as it was, which must've been so loud. And it's like right near like Leota's head and his ear, like Leota flinches. And I'm like, Jesus, you know, he said that the silence after the shooting was deafening he said that was the loudest thing to him was was being in that moment of everyone realizing you know it's like oh my god this guy is a monster because with the three guys it's it's funny because we just came off of doing slumdog millionaire and in that there's this whole thing about the three musketeers but really in goodfellas i feel like we got you know a similar thing you know between leota pesci and de niro it's like all for one and one for all and then when we start breaking off from that you know and again the spider saint great example you know know what i mean that's down well this is when henry hill kind of starts coming out of it and seeing it for what it is well i think honestly the first time i see that is the beautiful you know red light face scene at the very beginning where you know it freeze frames on him Mm. and that's kind of the moment we don't know yet because it's just the movie's just started but that's the moment when henry hill knows that everything is gonna go bad from here like it's you know when you have that moment in your life well you know like you're at a point of no return well scott says he said with the red light he said this was a point where henry hills hills in a he's in hell yeah he said that's what, what the red light he said wanted to signify is that, you know, this is hell and, you know, there's no kind of turning back now. And, yeah. yeah. And I mean, the funny thing is, like, Tommy and Jimmy don't seem to feel that way. Like, you know, when we see later, no. they're like digging the hole and they're laughing and like, you want a wing or a leg yeah. and all yeah. this shit. <laughs> yeah, they're just. You've seen that's funny. That, it, you is. Know, it is funny. <laughs> <laughs> considering the circumstances that's i do laugh at that line <laughs> there's so much dark humor i mean again back to that scene where they're at uh at tommy's mother's house and they're all sitting around the table and <laughs> you know billy bounces out in the trunk knocking you know because he's not dead in there Oof. but they're talking about this painting that she did which is like <laughs> hysterical we when we saw that at the theater Everyone in the theater was laughing so hard during that scene that we we were like, I, I missed half of it because I was in tears laughing where he's like, yeah, yeah, you got one dog looking one way, one dog looking the other way. This guy's saying, what do you want from me? <laughs> it's Oh, my God. I just I feel it. I feel that my mother and the could, paw. Oh, oh, my God. The, we got to got to hack it off. The hook. <laughs> The huff. What do you call it? A paw huff. Oh shit! But the punchline with the uh, the guy in the painting, and De Niro says, "Looks like somebody we know." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Billy Bats in the trunk. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, have you no shame? <laughs> <laughs> well, and they don't. But you know, and then you know, the mother calls out that Henry's over there, really quiet. Right, right. right. Mm. 
Like he's starting to not be a part of this anymore. Right. And that's kind of the whole thing. Like he wanted to belong like this whole time he wanted to belong. He really felt like he was a part of it. And this is where he start. He kind of starts not being a part of it. Then he gets into the drugs, which kind of puts a wedge between him and Polly and kind of, you know, everything starts falling apart. And it's, man, it's just structured so well. Like, the story and the film are both just structured so well. Well, yeah, you feel like with with the family aspect, you know, they make a point to say that they do all this legal activity, but they really care about their family, you know? And they do that at a scene where, you know, Leota has just gotten out of prison and he's there with Karen and the family and they're eating. And it's, you know, it's great. And it's just like, okay, this is why... This is the end result. We want to spend time with our families. We want to have that. And as that as that just erodes, then it's like, okay, so you do all this, but you don't even have a family. So what the hell do you have? You know, there's nothing, there's nothing left to hold it up. And at the beginning, yeah, it's like he's in hell when they open the trunk with the red light, and then we see good fellas. Yeah zoom across the screen and it's like you know that life in the fast lane thing that people love so much like zoom zoom, you know Mm -hmm. and it's just like oh okay and also we can you know cocaine is a huge part of it you know you could say you're speeding you're on speed whatever so i feel like they've got everything right in there also calling them good fellas is funny because we're talking about hell and good fellows makes you think about good people. Maybe perchance, you know, you could go a mega stretch and say like an angel, but these are the exact opposite of that. And, you know, they, they do present, you know, differently at first when they, they meet people because we see all of these great things that they do, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, I work in construction and, you know, I take you out for this amazing night. Yeah, it's you like know? a magical thing. Right, like when right. when when he takes her when he takes Karen to the Copa, it is like this magical thing. Like he has the power to open every door. He has the power with money. To, with yes. money. That's the thing I like. Well, and respect too, respect. because as soon as they get in, you know, he's people are like, Oh, come on over. They're like setting up a table for him up front, you know, and it's funny because he had kind of treated her like garbage on the right. first kind of blind date. And then he stood her up. She comes out. She's like, you're going to have to do something big, you know? So he's like... He does that. Yeah. He, he goes for it. And he and he does. And it's interesting that you talk about um, the idea of, you know, this family and what it is they're working for. Right. Because the other thing I, I really was struck by this time is that I think the reason he wants to get into this life initially is because it does seem glamorous. And it seems like you only do a little bit of work and you get a lot out of it. Yeah. And, you know, he has that voiceover part where he's talking about idiot people who work for wages and paychecks and, you know, that they laugh at that or they scoff at that because he can make so much more money stealing, mm-hmm. but he never stops working. Like he's working 24 hours a day. Yeah. Well, and then he creates like even more, you know, financial responsibility for himself you know, because then he has like a girlfriend and another apartment and another life. Yeah. It's just like, it's just like nothing is enough. That That's, yeah. that's a big thing too. It's just like, it's just this black hole, you know, that you can't, you can't fill. And like the only thing that fills it really is like the bodies of your friends, mm. which is gruesome, but 
but true because you know when when you get through this movie it's like joe pesci you know we've got him dead right and you're like shit you know frankie carbone johnny roast beef you know maury who is a pain in the ass but you still feel a little bad you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. like just like every maury single... made me nervous he really oh. needed to slow down like oh. if you want to talk oh. about wishing somebody would shut up like uh, johnny roast yeah. needed to shut up and maury needed to shut up longer that's a good actor because i'm right with you i was just like you're dead you're dead like i've yeah. seen this a million yeah. times and i think he's going to kill yeah. him earlier yeah i did too <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and he, he did well to last as long as he did, really. Absolutely. He, did. <laughs> he probably didn't deserve to, considering no. how other people checked out so quick. But uh, I think that's also a time with that character where we kind of see a very tangible, uh, what am I trying to say, very tangibly that Henry is kind of being cut out of that Three Musketeers because he kind of thinks oh, okay, they're not going to kill Maury. And they do. They just don't let him in on it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he thinks he can save him. Jimmy yeah. kind of, yeah, Jimmy kind of is like, ah, it's fine. We're not going to do it. And then he does yeah. it, but he does it without him. And then it's like the people that were in on that murder, they all died. You know, so it's just like everybody that, that gets in on this and thinks that, oh, okay, we just need to eliminate this one person. It's like they're not safe either because it's like you know about this. Yeah. You know, we yeah, have it's a chain reaction. Right. You all got to go. Well, like, and Jimmy, Jimmy is like the really ruthless after the Lufthansa heist because yeah. he basically figures out I can just I can kill one guy. But what if I just kill every guy? Yeah. Like, what's it going to hurt me? I, I love um, one of my favorite. It's not a full scene, but a moment in the in the picture is um, when Jimmy's sat at the bar and the sunshine of your love comes on by cream. And De Niro just outacts everybody in the film without doing anything except for sitting there smoking a cigarette. And you can see that glint in his eyes and you know that the clockwork's going and he's thinking, right, okay, well, I'm going to rub out this guy and this guy's going to get whacked and then I'm going to get more money. And you can just see all this kind of stuff going on without him saying a word. And that, I thought that was fantastic. That scene is just like... Yeah, he does do everything you know. with his face and that. It does. And it's funny because then you start thinking about Jimmy, who's Jimmy the gent, right? Right. So he always kind of blends in, in a way. Um, he doesn't really stick out. Even though he is a huge part of the movie, he isn't flashy like a lot of the other guys. He's not as loud as Tommy. Um, but he he's thinking. Like, he's always... <laughs> You know, they are thinking, and he's also one of the guys who really gets things done. Like, he's one of the most doer-type people in the movie. No, I think that's a good And he's not Italian. He's, like, half Irish again, too, or whatever. Um, so, and that's, that's what I think is interesting, too, because he and Henry have that common thread that they're part of it, but they can't be a hundred percent part of it because they aren't Italian. They're not fully Italian. And so they end up just doing a lot of the work, um, without any promise of being able to rise in the organization. Yeah. I mean, being half Italian, I mean, it's, it's really funny. I remember <laughs> years ago I was talking to somebody who was a hundred percent Italian and I said, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm half Italian, but I, I guess that, you know, doesn't really mean that much. But they look at me dead in the eyes and they go, 
No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like that's the that's the thing. You're all or none. You know, it, it it's like these guys that are half. You know, they don't count, and they're you're, only going to get so far. And you're you're one of them. Oh, I am one of them. And and you know, it, it's like with a last name like Macy. It's like people don't even know what the hell i am well that isn't even your that no. isn't even your family's real name they just made it up yeah i yeah. think like my last name is like mutsy or something which means teddy bear i think it's hungarian maybe or, or czechoslovakia something. i don't know yeah something. yeah eastern europe yeah I, it's like my dad's side i'm so many things i can never keep it straight but my mom's side yeah i got that handled yeah yeah i mean oh, oh i wanted to say this so <laughs> back to the Catherine scorsese thing with the painting that we love with the old man and the two dogs my mother okay i i could totally see her painting this and and like i it makes me so happy because it brings me back to this really old thing i found in the closet of her old house once and she laughed her ass off she goes oh you know i don't really like to draw i don't really like to do anything and i go well what's this and she goes oh it was uh for fire prevention week years ago so it's it's this it's this okay it was this big poster board and it's this smiling woman in the in the middle it's kind of small she's got a big smile on her face okay and she's got a pot you know flipped upside down like this and there's like a couple drops of water coming out and literally the rest of the poster is like this blazing inferno And it's just like, you know, we laughed. You know what I mean? She saw the humor of that. But it's just like when I saw the, the thing with, you know, the man of the two dogs, I'm like, oh, yeah. And the, Nicholas, Nicholas Pelleggi's mom is the one who actually painted the painting. Oh, yeah. That, I, f- I found that. Oh, yeah. I didn't, that was good. Oh. But there's so much, so many relatable things in the film. That's it. You know, considering I've had absolutely nothing in common with these people, you know, like, you know, I'm from Manchester. <laughs> And uh, but there's so many relatable things, the things he's saying, you know, like with him out with my friends and stuff. Like, I mean, after we, we Goodfellas came out, we watched Goodfellas. I mean, this is really sad, but me and my friends, we used to like have full conversations with these terrible Italian American accents because <laughs> we were so taken with this film, you know. So, <laughs> That's okay. Just quoting it verbatim, you know. So you say your, your favorite scene is the um, the kitchen scene. I think the so. I, in the yeah, for me, I think it's just mostly because I just have this great memory of watching yeah. it, and it's so funny. And also, it comes back like there's there's just things about it that are kind of like wistful in a weird way because you know that they're having a good time, and this isn't going to last. Yeah. Um, because what's happened, or you know, in the process of happening with Billy Bats is going to bring everything down. And I think with Henry kind of looking on the other three and they're having like this great time, they're having this meal and he is aware that it's not going to last. And then you have this mother character who is just adorable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, because I've seen the movie when I'm watching it again, and I see the scene and she loves her son so much. I know what's going to happen to him later, you know, and yeah. and he talks to her and she's like so proud of him. And he goes out and gets whacked. You know, right. That it really kind of brings it home to me more of what's actually going on. You know, when you see these people having like these good moments 
but there's literally something like dark happening at the same exact time. Um, and this is just like the facade, um, the shiny facade on and the, top. And the way they say that they, uh, they shot him in the face so his mother couldn't have an open coffin at the funeral. <laughs> My heart broke for his mother, not for Tommy DeVito, because he was you know, a horrible person, but I just thought, oh, it's terrible. Yeah, because his mother, you know, she loved him. And she didn't do this, you know, she didn't make him like this. And yeah. she was just like a a really sweet lady. And it just, it does make you really sad. Well, speaking of parents, now this is interesting. The person that plays like Henry Hill's dad when he's a kid is, the actor's name is Bo Starr, okay? And Frenchie is actually Mike Starr, his brother. I always thought that those guys looked similar and I, I actually, you know, looked it up and I was like, Oh my God, it's his brother. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. okay. So that was, that was, you know, a little thing. Now this is pretty good. And I went to college with a person that plays young Henry Hill's sister. Number one, uh, Daniela Barbosa. Oh, really? Yeah. So when it comes up, when it's like after the main cast and it comes up, she's the first name listed. Yeah. She is uh, the first sister that you see. She's sitting like in the left of frame and like the mother comes in and she walks off. She says bye and she goes to school. It's yeah. totally crazy. It's totally crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, and you went to college with it. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. so weird because and she's was... in the industry now. Oh, yeah. She she does all kinds of production stuff. She was a, a child actor. Yeah. I believe she was on Sesame Street, and I'm sure she's got other things. But now, yeah, she does all kinds of cool production Behind stuff. The scenes. Yeah, like she worked on The Boys and like a million other things. She's always working. Yeah, it, it's but it, it's so crazy to me because it's just like it is like the, this film that's a ten out of ten, and to to see someone that you know in the credits, you know, someone <laughs> you hung out with. You know yeah. what I mean? We. We did theater stuff together. I was like, oh, my God, this is insane. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. cool. it feels. And, she, and she's in what she's in what Woody Allen called the greatest American film ever made. And I think that's, you know, a very fair assessment. You know, I think this is almost consistently in everybody's like top 10. But I personally like this better than some of the other. Uh, movies that people consider the best movies of all time for I, I like this better than godfather personally yeah yeah oh, that's so tough you, you know i i used to always feel like oh christ i i never know because every time i watch one of these i get sucked in and then i go oh no this is the best one and last time i went through the godfather films the the Pacino performance is really what what just takes me in yeah. and takes me deep. John Cazale, you know, incredible. Like, you know, Fredo. I mean, you know, you have Brando in the first one. You have James Caan who kills it. I mean, we could go the whole way down the line. It it's just it's a different mood. Like Goodfellas, I I do think the the best way to think about it is like speed. You know, it's fast. Yeah. You get right to it. Like Godfather has a measured pace that slowly brings you in, you know, through the wedding ceremony. So it's like you have to have the patience to let the story unfold. Whereas in Goodfellas, right from the beginning, they want to let you know, look at this. These are these people. I mean, I you know, Ray Liotta does have the first line, and I think the first line is roughly, what the fuck is that? You know, it's just like, <laughs> so it's just like out of the gate. You're like, what? You know? 
And then you, we pull over and we see Billy Bats in the trunk. Very shocking. Mm-hmm. And we have no idea well, yeah, you know, how we're going to get there. Well, yeah, kick off pretty strong. When, yeah. And, you know, yeah. Pacino is my guy. Like, that's like my one of my, probably my favorite actor of all time. He's the king. But I think that it is the direction of this movie um, and the style. Maybe it's just my shared affinity for rolling stones <laughs> that Martin <laughs> Scorsese has because he loves them as much as me and you know his his vision in this movie is just so profoundly perfect you know i think it's something that christopher you said earlier about him kind of having an outsider insider view at the same time like he was part of this culture but not the inner circle of it so it's Uh like he was close to it close enough to really observe it and he brings that perspective he also casts you know the cast is perfect in this and the music and the editing like how how the film is written everything in this comes together so well that yes you get sucked in from the beginning it does slow down a little bit but i feel like something that you said earlier we try not to talk about the movie before we do the show but we can't help it sometimes (laughs) (laughs) and something that you were saying which i thought was an amazing point was that scorsese is almost more like a like a conductor yes um in a way because he is He's made up this orchestra of all these amazing parts, and he's just making sure that each one is highlighted in the right time, the right way, and it all comes together in such a a, a complete way that I just feel like this is the one for me. Well, the, the way that he, that he uses music, I think, there's nobody else like him for incorporating music into films. I mean, Tarantino has good taste in music but I find a lot of the time it's very clumsy the way he drops tracks in it's like oh I like this track I'll drop it in here whereas with Scorsese I mean I think when they were filming Goodfellas he actually had a hi-fi on set playing the tracks that he wanted to be um, there you know like in a certain scene and he said uh, I don't know if you read it or saw it on a documentary but he said that he likes the way with music, if he's listening to the music and say he's in a car or he's looking out of his window, the way it juxtaposes with whatever you're seeing. So you could be listening to something like a, a, a track by The Clash and outside it's all, you know, very serene and picturesque or it could be the opposite way. You could be listening to something really mellow and smooth and classical and then you're looking out in the street and somebody's having a fist fight. And he said he loved the way, I mean, you've got that track, um, that Donovan track, is it uh, Atlantis, is it called? Yeah. The one that plays when they when they kill Billy Bats in the bar. And it's just like this really sort of weird psychedelic spoken word track that kicks into this really kind of nice euphoric positive chorus just as they start to lay into Billy Bats. And so you got that kind of juxtaposition straight away. And I, I think it's it's phenomenal. The way the way he edits the the scenes to coincide with the way the music dips and Unbelievable. Yeah, never better than with the piano outro of Layla. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, Um, without a doubt. That reinvented that. That reinvented it and it made it its own song. Like it's like Layla I loved as a kid. 
and I I liked you know the guitar part. I was in on that, and I loved the piano outro. However, I did not realize that they were all part of the same song, you know, until my yeah. dad played it for me on vinyl once. I'm like, oh, I like this piano thing, and he's like, oh, I'll play it for you. And I'm like, oh, you're you're playing me Layla. I'm like, <laughs> I want to hear the piano thing, and I was like, oh, right. you know, but this it is its own entity and it's like when we go through the carnage because that's when we're seeing all the bodies that's when they play it that is some of the most gruesome gruesome stuff and one of the most beautiful pieces for me it, it's so evocative it always makes me happy like Derek and the dominoes that album is perfect yeah it's layla is amazing and the fact that it's like kick ass then it comes down and it's like you know, yeah. introspective and bright. It's like a summer day. It's everything perfect. But it's like, you know, they use in this for these bodies. And Frankie Carbone's poor, <laughs> poor, poor Frankie frozen Carbone. Yeah, Frankie. I was going to say the bit, yeah, in the in the meat truck in the freezer. Oh. And that's when they open the doors to the meat truck is when you got, kind of get that slaggy tackle. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this is nice. And, <laughs> oh, there's Carbone. No. <laughs> Carbone, man. How about when Carbone wants to make coffee after they kill <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> What are you uh, doing? Are you, I can't swear because my kids are in the next room. But yeah, <laughs> I'll make a coffee to go. <laughs> and he's just walking around holding it. It's like, oh, what are you doing? But all, all this comes out of improvisation, doesn't it? Like the, the funny house stuff as well was just completely improvised. Yeah. I mean, obviously they rehearsed it for when they. But uh, I believe that was something that happened to Joe Pesci in real life, and it was a guy you knew who was, you know, a serious head case for want of a better phrase but you know yeah <laughs> he, uh, he was a, a touchy guy to be around and he, he did the kind of funny how thing on joe pesci and joe pesci said well the only way that he could think that he was going to get out of this he was going to get killed or beaten up or whatever whichever way he did it so he could either like call his bluff or not call his bluff and get beat up either way so if thought, well i call his bluff and if i call his bluff there's like maybe one percent chance less that i won't get beaten up <laughs> that's what he did and that's when he's you know so it's just it's such a perfect scene and yeah the the way that this is done with like okay so pelleggi has the book and you know scorsese's like calls him like let's do it he's like i can't make a deal pelleggi's like we're gonna do it so they get together and then pelleggi you know is the one typing all this out and then scorsese will take it and make all these notes he'll make the music notes He'll sometimes, you know, do like a little storyboard or he'll have like an idea that comes up. So it's like we've got all these annotations in the script as they go. And then they would take it to these guys and then they would rehearse these scenes. They said they'd do about 40 minutes on a scene. And then Scorsese would write down everything that the guys did in the improv, which is based on the script, but they went outside of it. So based on the script and the improv, Scorsese rewrites it. And then that's what they actually did on film because Pesci was like, yeah, he's like, we, we do this, we work on it, but we don't just make it up, you know, when we're there, he goes, everything is down, you know, to the letter and, and Scorsese is such a perfectionist, like everything, you know, I saw a thing where it was with young Henry Hill and it was like choosing ties. He's like, no, this doesn't yeah. look like a gangster's tie. Like, everything yeah. he would not let anything go even when they were watching the film in the theater he was sitting next to Pelleggi 
And he was like talking to him like they were sitting in a screening room. He's like, ah, oh, you know, we should have changed that. We should have, <laughs> you know what I mean? A perfectionist. That's relatable. Yeah. I think anybody who does any art of any sort, like once it's locked down and it's out there for the public, you still want to change something. You still are always going to find something yeah. to change, even if it's a story I've written or you know, paper I did for school or anything after I've turned it in. I'm like, oh, I wish I'd put this in. Sorry, I was, I was just going to say about the funny house scene as well. I read this this story as well that because it kind of extends beyond the bit with just him and Henry, and then you've got I can't remember the character's name, but the guy who comes over and he's saying about the bar tab. Oh yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Funny. <laughs> God, poor guy. I can't remember. Hey, yeah. I just, hey, Polly, I just want you to take a piece of this fucking joint. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, him. Yeah, that's the guy. Sunny, Sunny Buns, I think is his name. Yeah, but uh, Joe Pesci said to Scorsese on like the lunch break, he said, you know what, what if I hit him over the head with a bottle or something? And he said, well, you can't, we can't do that now, you know, you're going to screw everything up, we're going to have to take a big break and we're going to have to get the props guys to bring you some fake bottles. And he said, well, what, what if it hit him with like a, a real bottle? No, no, you can't do that either. And he said, well, what if I throw a bottle at him? And he said, no, that won't work because I want him right up close to you. And he said, well, what, what a lamp? He said, we've got a table lamp. I could hit him with that maybe. He said, no, no, forget it. Just all right, we'll take a break and I'll get, you know, I'll get some fake bottles. We'll do the first thing. <laughs> he wanted to hit him with a bottle. He wanted to hit him with a bottle, yeah, he wasn't, apparently. He wasn't letting go of that idea. Oh, God. No, no. <laughs> what about right. a table lamp? <laughs> Oh, that's well, good. And no wonder that guy was so like timid. Yeah. Well, when he's talking to when in the scene where he's talking to Polly and uh, and I guess like Paul Servino didn't know what he was going to say exactly, and he just kept being kind of confused looking. And that's like my favorite thing about that scene is Paul Servino looking over at Henry and going like, "What's this guy's problem?" Yes. Like every two seconds. Yeah, and Paul yeah. Servino, we haven't talked about him yet, but we need boy, to. he is amazing in this. He just has the perfect look. Um, he, I kept saying this when we were watching, he just reminds me of like the silverback like gorilla that's just like in charge of the whole thing. You know, he's got like this big, you know, hulking look and like he is so coiled up. Like he just feels like he could do anything mm -hmm. but he doesn't like and he just holds it back and i just really love his performance and when you see him later you know when he's been really hurt by henry it's very affecting you know because he kind of took a chance on this kid and he trusted him and, and he feels like his trust was betrayed and that's that's another one of my favorite scenes i'd say is when you know paulie hands him the money and tells him now i gotta turn my back on you and ray Liotta's performance in that scene is just like really heartbreaking oh yeah even though at this point again you should be like okay i shouldn't feel sorry for this guy because he's he's a horrible person you feel sorry for him anyway well it's like his yeah. dad says i can't I can't be your dad anymore. That's, that's really what we have there. And it, it's, it's a wonderful scene because Paul Sorvino as Polly is perfect because it's so understated. You know, it, it's not like one of these really big flashy things. He plays it, you know, close to the vest. You know that the power is there, 
You know, like there are a few times where you see him get pissed off and his eyes widen or he does a subtle thing. And it lets you know that if this guy lets loose, it's going to make what Joe Pesci did look like jack shit. Yeah. You know, and it's just like when you have that scene, God, it is so heartbreaking with Leota and and Sorvino when Sorvino's doing the sausages. Oh, it, it, it is. It, it's it's again, he's saying goodbye to his dad and it goes back to the family thing. His family just keeps dwindling because his actual family, we don't really see anything else much about them. We do see Michael. OK, we do see Michael. but We don't see anything about his mother. We don't see anything about his uh, father. We don't see anything else about any other family other than this mob family. It, it, and, I mean, even at the uh, the wedding ceremony, you don't see that. Yeah. biological families mm-hmm. you see them in the background but you don't you know they're not the, the focus is always on the mob guys isn't it sat around the table and stuff and yeah. i yeah. never even saw him at the wedding so that that's a new one for me I good one I, good saw, I think i saw michael yeah you do, you do yeah you do you do see um henry's dad just kind of in the background he's just looking like really pissed off in the background <laughs> and fed up <laughs> he's just such a pissed off man and it's <laughs> yeah. it's again funny that frenchy is his brother because you know mike Starr, for most of his performances is just really affable you know he's just a very friendly guy he's always laughing right. he like when he's talking about the big caper with them and how they're going to pull it off and he's a security and you know, he's just like laughing. It's like, yeah, I'm the the nighttime day man. You know, just me. Yeah. yeah, you know, it is just, just like, yeah. And that's when I was telling you that I thought Mike Starr just looks like a combination of you and Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you and Bruce Springsteen were like fifty fifty DNA splice, so it just Mike Starr would come out Frenchy. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Oh, that's so good. I mean, I always think of, I, I don't know if you, you've ever seen this, Chris, but like Bob's Burgers. Do you ever see that cartoon? No, you know, I started watching an episode. It's the first time I've ever watched it, and it looked really, really funny. But my kids are in the room, so there was a couple of jokes in there. I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll come back to this one on my own kind of thing. But yeah, <laughs> I've never seen it before, but that, that's that got a lot of good jokes in it. It's our favorite. You know, it's, the first kind of... it's like my favorite show. I love it. And, yeah. Um, there's a character on there. It's like Bob's best friend. His name is Teddy. And John thinks Mike Starr is like Teddy. Like exactly like Teddy. They do look alike. It's like the cartoon version of Mike Starr as Teddy. And it's they so sound good. similar too. Yeah. That's true. It's, it's just he's so nice. It's Well, that's that's the hard thing. They're like these nice criminals that die. You know? And it's just like, oh. Yeah. Like Stax. We don't even get to know Stax. You yeah, know what you I mean? Yeah, you don't know anything there was about no, There was no reason. To, well, there was a reason to kill Stax from there point of view i guess but yeah that 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 was unnecessary poor stacks and this is just when jimmy this is when jimmy just kind of is really realizing that he can do whatever he wants yeah yeah he can kill whoever he wants and you know whereas i would have always thought you know tommy was the kind of crazy hair trigger kind of person tommy is hot he's hot-headed you know he is easy to go off the handle and quick temper but jimmy is cold you know jimmy makes yeah, these decisions yeah. cold he's like you know oh i could just kill everybody then i wouldn't have any stress about this and mm. i could take all their money so why didn't i think of that earlier you know it, it's i mean yeah he he's ready to go i mean 
he does really have this thing you, you can see right through him in a good way as an actor you know when they have that scene at the diner with the dolly zoom where henry's like i know if i dolly zoom. Yeah, incredible it's like i know if i go i'm never coming back you know you can you can see it the scariest one for me with jimmy conway is when he tells karen to go mm. down and get the dresses yeah Woo! i am so glad you got them two guys stood in the uh in the in the sub warehouse place yeah it is terrifying that scene it's uh, you're like thank god you didn't go in there like it was just like yeah. it was really like that that was the creepiest one and he's just standing there watching it yeah because well, he wants oof. to make sure she goes you know and then he can't yeah. do anything that would be too overt right um but yeah that's that's when jimmy's just gone off over the edge and like after i think he loses tommy it's like he's got nothing left to lose because Henry had been close to him at one point, but that time has passed. And um, I think he's just hardened to the point where he doesn't care what has to happen. And it's totally yeah. fine for him to, you know, push Henry down to Florida to get kick, kicked off. Yeah, because by that time, I mean, Henry's way into his drugs, isn't he? And that's his kind of moneymaker against what paulie says you know if you ever kind of mess around with that shit you know you're out sort of thing but so i think that's the kind of big wedge at the end is the drugs with henry and that just causes this already what's becoming quite fractured it just splits it apart completely i think with jimmy as well and yeah but the the way and the way they're so disposable like you say with stacks i mean henry says in the voiceover he says you know everybody likes stacks used to play guitar on the the bar and what have you Mm -hmm. and that's all that's said about him really and the next thing you know is he's getting he's getting bumped off. But everybody likes him. But he's disposable. You know, he's a he's, he's a potential threat to what's going to happen because he fell asleep at the wheel and all the rest of it. And um, there's another thing that Scott says. He said that was really interesting when he said about these guys. He said they kind of come in and out of the picture. Like you've got Anthony. He's mentioned at the start of the film when they do the funny house scene. And you know they have the in the medium shot, so you can see all the other guys sat around. And this guy called Anthony, you don't really see, says something to Joe Pesci, and he says, you know, he didn't mean it like that. And he says, well, Anthony, he's, he's a big boy, he knows what he said, and all the rest of it. And that's it. You don't hear about him again. And then later on, um, Henry's asked to go down to Florida, I think, is it? Yeah. With uh, with Anthony to do this thing, and that's when he knows that he's going to get whacked. And who is this Anthony guy? You know, he's not been in the film at all in between being mentioned, sort of bookended at each end of the picture. But Scorsese said that's what these guys were like. He said, you know, one of them would kind of disappear for like years and they'd be doing something somewhere else and then they'd come back into the fold and, you know, with a money-making scheme or whatever. And he said they were just disposable people, you know, they just get rid of this guy, get rid of that guy. And yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. That's a great point. I never caught that with Anthony. I didn't either. Never caught it. Well, I didn't, and then I read I read this this interview with Scorsese, and he mentioned it. I said, "All right, that kind of makes sense because you do." I mean, it's like the bit when um, it's got from uh, the the kind of Henry's point of view, and it's going through the bar, and you've got Pete the Killer, Johnny Two Times, all these great names. <laughs> you don't you don't see him again. These guys, not you see one or two of them, but most of them you don't see. They're not mentioned again throughout the entire film. That's true. Yeah, you just introduce Pete the Killer. Who is this guy? He's, he 
sounds quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Jimmy two times. Oh, two times. I mean, get that's... The papers, get the papers. Get the papers, get the papers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who didn't say that? And then, like, he's got that yeah. maneuver he does there. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like a Rodney Dangerfield thing he does. Yeah. Oh, speak of Rodney... Sally Balls. Sally Balls, his brother. Who's Sally Balls? <laughs> <laughs> I would... He was Sally Balls, his brother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We need like an action figure set, like Star Wars oh, or something, boy. you know, like yeah. collect them all, you know? <laughs> yeah, like the steel kind of Star Wars figures and used to get all these guys who've like been in one shot for like a second. Oh, right, I've got this figure. Who is it? I have no idea. And you could just get a big carrying case that's just Paul Sorvino's head. Open it up. Yeah. Put them all in there like a Darth Vader. Oh, my God. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> But yeah, I, it's I this again. These are great points. How these people just just fly in and out, and like you know, with the wives, you know, we have like one scene with the wives, and you know, we kind of get a look at them, and maybe again we see them in the background, but it, it's just something that like in terms of the narrative, we're not. It, it's like we we got the the only. Th- it just seems like they're there. Well, it's it's, yeah. it's kind of this idea for me that there's like these different levels of inner circle mm-hmm. you know there's like super inner circle and then you have like who's on the outside of that people keep getting pushed out further and further mm-hmm. like henry kind of gets pushed out and that's you know where he is at the end because people think he's just become too much of a liability he could you know because of the drug thing he's just too exposed which is true um and then he's paranoid and freaking out which again is perfectly kind of choreographed and and uh, you know the, it's shown through the editing and through all the shots and even like the makeup like Ray Liotta's face just looks yeah. terrible <laughs> throughout this with like yeah. the dark circles and and just he's so twitchy and I do want to mention that Dolly Zoom shot again because I really love that shot and i didn't really know this was called like a vertigo shot um i just thought about it as other things but i actually have vertigo i've been having vertigo pretty bad this week so <laughs> when that shot happened in the movie last night i was like god that really does a good job of like mimicking this feeling of vertigo because they do have you know a lot of people do the dolly zoom really quick so it's kind of like this I don't know. I guess I'll be onomatopoeic and just say it's kind of like this, you know, where like the foreground, the background are moving really quickly and it just kind of is like this hitting home. Somebody's realizing something. In this case, they do it really slowly and they're trying to like match, you know, the zoom with the camera movement so that it, it kind of has like almost like the, the background and foreground are like vibrating and it gives you this feeling that like, you're in unreality or something and i thought that was just so well done i was really really impressed with that and i think people talk about the tracking shot in the copa so much and it is really amazing but i think that dolly zoom is just as amazing from a storytelling point of view well that looks like it's a green screen behind him you know it's like we we see outside of the diner you know, and again, this is not like anything crazy, but there's a thing that's like hero sandwiches, which 
is outside and you know it's like okay you know not not anything out of the ordinary but again seeing the word hero in any you know context while we're watching these two gangsters and one is plotting you know to to kill like his last living friend is what it feels like it is is kind of funny to me That's you know interesting. I, yeah, yeah it's it's the, okay oh in the copa thing so this is crazy so the steady cam operator was this guy larry mcconkey and you know so they had the copa location and scorsese and and ball house you know walked through and said okay here's where we're gonna go and uh the first thing is you know it's like ball house is like we have to go through the kitchen and Scorsese's like, no, we should just go straight into the club. There's no reason to go into the kitchen. But he's like, I want it in there because it's different light. It's fluorescence. But there's only one door in and out of the kitchen. I never realized that. So it's like when they go into the kitchen, there's some people that come in, you know, to kind of set dress to change it up enough. So when we go back out, we don't realize that we just went around the same room. Also, all the the activity in there, you know, is to kind of distract you because it's so busy in the kitchen. You know, you're like, oh, wow. Now, the when they first come in, okay, it was like they, they said to the Steadicam guys, like, okay, you know, try to, you know, figure this out, you know, figure out your steps, how you want to do it. And so he worked with Ray Liotta. And when he's coming down the stairs at first, you know, it was like, okay, I don't want to just have the top of your heads. You know, he's like, that's not a good shot. He goes, I want to keep it as wide as I can. And when they round the corner to get to the door, the, the steady camp guy's like, uh, you know, Ray, can you do something, you know, to slow down? Give me a second to catch up. And he's like, hey, why don't we uh, add a doorman? So that's why they added the doorman. And so then Ray Liotta, oh, right. yeah, right. It's crazy. Ray Liotta pays them off. Yeah. And they go down in there and, and they did the same thing again with like that kissing couple in the corner. And Ray Liotta's like, oh, every time you two. And there are all these things peppered in throughout to, to give enough time for the steady cam to follow. So they, they had all these rehearsals that they shot and then they went and, and they showed it to Scorsese. And then the steady cam guy was terrified. He's like, oh my God, he's going to hate it. I'm never going to work again. I really care about the steady cam. <laughs> And Scorsese, you know, watched it and he goes, no, 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 this is all wrong. And the guy's like, oh, my God, I'm done. It's over. You know, my career's over. And Scorsese said, you know, when you get to the very end, the table has to fly in. The table has to fly in. You know, it's like, oh, wow. And, and now this is interesting. The reason he wanted the table to fly in is Scorsese would go to the Copa and he would get a great seat up front. But then these wise guys would start showing up and they would actually just start bringing these tables in and put them in front of you. So it's like it's something right. that he experienced firsthand. So he wanted that piece of the shot to be right. And, you know, it's but that was really the only note. So. <laughs> that was it. And it was just like yeah. it's I mean, it's a great thing because they talk about, you know, the seduction, you know, that we already talked about of, you know, the life of the, the mobster and the seduction of Karen. And yeah, I don't know. It, it's just with that, it, it this is such a weird comparison. It makes me think about Halloween, yeah, uh, and the opening tracking shot in that. Um, because, I don't think yeah. that's weird at all because it's exactly what they did. I mean, they had to use the same space, but they had to change it completely. So when they're upstairs, 
they had people coming in and like changing all the settings mm -hmm. and then they come back and it's totally different so it's really exactly the same thing it's just a different genre you know like i don't think about yeah. like haddonfield and goodfellas <laughs> in the same kind of space well but they use the same storytelling styles in some ways which is yeah. pretty cool it just shows you like how you can use the same kind of effects to a different effect well, and it's this is just so well planned out because Scorsese would have a shot list and, you know, he would, you know, go with Ballhouse the location. Ballhouse would say, OK, this would work. This wouldn't. Here's what I'd like to do. So they had a complete plan so that when they went to the actual set to shoot, they didn't need to shoot any, you know, additional coverage. They just got their shots and, and they left. Yeah. And that's really respectful to their whole team. You oh, know? yeah. Because there's times yeah. when you're shooting something and people are trying to figure it out there and you're just kind of standing around waiting <laughs> for that to happen. But in this case, they were both very prepared and everybody's talked about that, like how prepared both Scorsese and Ballhouse were. And how happy Scorsese was to work with the actors because he is so passionate and you could just read what he mm -hmm. said and he would let you know it was a good, was it not good? Maybe do what you did the other day. Like he got the exact movie well i don't want to say that because he doesn't say that but i i think he got the best movie he could possibly get i i don't have any i don't I have any so criticisms too, yeah. of this uh, movie to me this is a 10 no. yeah nothing it's without a doubt it's uh yeah it's a perfect film it's well even this flawless it's the the end the the thing with he wanted frank sinatra's my way couldn't get it so we had to get to sid vicious I think the Sid Vicious actually fits it better than the Sinatra. Yeah. Yeah, because he, he said himself, Scorsese, what he wanted to do with the music, as it goes along and it gets more druggy and more, you know, messy at the end, that's when you start getting the stones on there and you've got, like, The Who and, you know, like Harry Nelson. So you've got basically Hellraiser's soundtrack in a Hellraiser's journey at the end, you know. It's like, and it just all fits perfectly. It's all very scuzzy and, you know, and then before that, you've got, you know, you've got uh, Bobby Vincent and that, that kind of stuff, you know, Tony Bennett. That's but, a good yeah. point. Yeah, there is like a descent um, <laughs> with the music as well, with the notable exception, I think, of that Layla outro. Oh, it's so pretty. Yeah. Which is yeah, kind of okay. like orchestral feeling almost, but yeah, uh, that is juxtaposed, you know, with it being like the smooth song, but with these horrifying images. Well, he always has, like, Scorsese, you know, had this thing that he would do where it was always, like, these great heights and these low lows. I can't remember the exact shot, but it was, like, in Mean Streets, it's like we see the city and it's pretty and we see the lights at night. And then, you know, we come down and as the camera comes down, we see, like, this guy shooting up. So it's always, I feel like we've got the, the heaven and hell in his stories. Um, particularly taxi driver. I mean, oh, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> the journey. whole thing with that is having like the the two sides smash together violently, really. He made violence an art form on film, yeah, yeah, you know, it's like i I never you know, I'm not a person that like actively seeks out violent movies, and frankly, yeah, when I first saw Goodfellas. I had no idea what it was. I rented it on VHS. I was like, I don't know. This is in. I'll try it. And I put it in. I couldn't believe it. 
because nobody I knew was talking about it. Again, you know, we were a lot younger, right? Um, But I was just like, wow. But yeah, that Billy Bats thing from the beginning, I was like, woof. You know, I, I guess that by watching all of the movies of Scorsese, it's like built up my tolerance to violence on film somewhat. Yeah. Somewhat, but I think you still will get shocked occasionally. I mean, the scene where um, the across the street neighbor has kind of assaulted Karen. With a, and... with a one take? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the fact that it's done in one take makes it a lot, lot worse. Yeah, it's... You just follow him and it's, you know, it's... Well, and he's so mad. Like, Ray Liotta is so angry in that scene. And, again, we have a situation where the anger is righteous. Mm-hmm. But his physical reaction is still over the top. Um, you know, he could, you can understand him being furiously mad at this guy for what the guy did, Yep. but he definitely goes too far. Um, I mean, he just beats this guy. I don't know how the guy's not dead. Like the guy should really yeah. be dead after that. I don't even know how the hell they shot that because I, I was like, <laughs> I was like, what does the, like, I think the guy wipes his face. Like he goes to hold his nose or something. Maybe it has blood on it. I'm like, does Leota have blood like in his fist that he's squeezing out on the guy when it looks yeah, like it just looks a... so realistic, doesn't it? It's not, it doesn't look like an effect. No, at all. no. You, like you say, you can't really see where it's coming from. And the sound breaks is his, so not, not brutal. Just breaks his nose, just smashes his nose to pieces. Doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's scary. And we never see that guy again. Like, do you, have you seen that guy in any no, movies? No. Maybe he just got, maybe <laughs> he just killed him. <laughs> they just, they whack him out for the movie. It's, you know, no biggie. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, look, we're gonna need. We need somebody to die for this film. You got anybody to? Are you willing to step up? Yeah. <laughs> Does it mean I'll be in a Scorsese movie? <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> We've all got to go sometime. <laughs> we'll have the funeral on set. It'll be really nice. All the stars will be there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I read that. We'll give you an open coffee. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do for that your, for you. For you your mother. It. Yeah. For your... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually read that Leota, his mother, passed away during the making of this film, and mm-hmm. that he said he used the anger about that in that scene, that particular scene. And I see it; <laughs> he's he's so angry in that scene, and I think he says, "Like I swear on my mother" or something like that okay. to the guy. Yeah. And it's just like that was forefront of his mind. So it's just so intense. Um, And it's so, like, for me personally, gross that he then goes to give this bloody gun to Karen. Mm. And then we switch over to Lorraine Bracco's voiceover. And she says, like, I was turned on. You know, I should have been horrified, but I was turned on or whatever. It's like Macbeth. It's like yeah, Macbeth. So, wow. Yeah, it yeah. is. Good you know, point. It, that's that's what I, I get in this. And that's that's what's really interesting. Karen is such an interesting character because she's very straight-laced at the beginning. And then it's like Henry likes her when he finds out that she's got a wild streak that she can raise hell. Yeah. So yeah. he's like, oh, okay, this is, this is a great match then. And then he's there. You know, he wants... Henry Hill wants trouble 
in every single way. Like, you know, the other two relationships that we see him with, you know, with, with Janice with, yep, and Sandy. Both. You knew that was going to be like, a, like the Sandy one is nuts because well. he's already with Janice. And then he's like ready to 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 get together with her. Yeah, well, in and he says Sandy, and that's a that's a, another great accident thing that happened was that Debbie Mazar was like backing away from Henry because you know he's just kind of been like making out Janice on the bed in front of everybody, and then she's like running off with all her girlfriends, and Debbie Mazar is still standing there, and then he's like coming at her. And she's like backing away, and Debbie Mazar actually tripped over the dolly track, and kind of oh, so it yeah, is. she kind of right. fell into the door frame. But it looked like she was just like overwhelmed by the attention yeah. of Henry, and so Scorsese loved it and he kept it. And I yeah, that's a great accident because I just thought that was you know really good acting on the actress's part. I thought she just bumped into the door frame intentionally. Yeah. She, it was an accident, but it it read so well, and honestly, like kudos to Debbie Mazar for staying in character and continuing the shot, even though she, at the time she probably thinks she messed it up. Yeah, it's perfect. But it's great because she does seem overwhelmed by like this kind of sexual power that he has, and it's it's a great scene, you know. And look at the the way he, he advances on her while he's still on the bed as well. Yeah. You know, he's like, you can't see, you only see him from the way he stood, but you get the impression he's kind of kneeling across the bed and then stepping off it towards her. And it's like, it's got all these kind of connotations going on. Yeah. yeah. it's And then she dip, trips up. <laughs> and she's, you know, she ends up being kind of the drug girlfriend. Um, and I think she's great in this. I like her better than Janice. Janice is kind of disposable to me. Yeah, I'm with you. She seems kind of just like... I mean, it's not the it's not the actress's fault. It's like the part, you know. She definitely seems like the side piece, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, but we get that wonderful, wonderful moment with Karen, you know, yeah. oh, when yeah. she's you know hitting all the buttons, telling the landlord you got a whore living in four R or whichever apartment it is. She's got a, she's got a kids with her, which is lovely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean. That's something I love about this is like Karen is kind of crazy. Like she's a crazy, passionate person. And again, that is what Henry loves about her. But then it's also what kind of tears them apart too. Because she's like, you know, holding a gun on him because yeah. he's cheating on her. And she just can't deal with this. She can't share him. She doesn't want to share him. Even though that's like a big part of the lifestyle. Like you know she she's this is where she's an outsider um because she's not part of this italian american community she's jewish her parents like her mother that that whoever that is in that role is really good yeah, she's great uh, yeah she is when they're trying to live with with them and she's furious that he's not coming home until the morning and um and then of course they end up mortgaging her house to oh. pay his bail later oh. so you know, it's like he's dragged these people into this life that really have no place there and don't want to be there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it's it's all because, you know, Karen is just crazy in love with them. Well, and we still, as the audience, care about Henry Hill. I know we've talked about it a couple times, but it's like the more that we talk about this movie, 
and just the wreckage he's made of everyone's life. You know, you don't have, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it, I think it really speaks to the charisma of Ray Liotta. He is yeah. such a presence on screen. Something wild, you know, that movie, like, wow. That's a great film, yeah. Right? Yeah. And he really has to just turn the temperature in that, you know, because, it that you know, something wild, it's like the first half of the film is like one way, and then the second half, or maybe a little less than that, is another way. <laughs> I don't want to give it away, but you, you know what I mean. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, yeah. excellent, excellent, excellent actor. Well, and then he was in Field of Dreams. <laughs> right? before this which is totally different it's nothing like that mm. um but he's yeah he carries this i i think it's so unfortunate first of all that we lost him early because he's you know such a good actor mm-hmm. but also that he just didn't get the recognition i think he deserved for this role um because he wasn't nominated for an oscar for this and you know other people were nominated that lorraine bronco and Joe Pesci were nominated for acting for supporting roles and Pesci won, which I think was well-deserved because he's amazing in this. He walks away with it in some ways, but Ray Liotta's performance is so good and it's so definitive for this movie. Like I just really can't imagine anyone else even coming close to being this good. And they tried a lot of people for this. Like I was reading all the, all the people they thought of for this. And it was like just a a laundry list of all these famous actors of the time. And I just can't imagine any of them pulling it off. Um, Because Ray Liotta plays it in so many levels at all times that you just don't think about anything that you just, you just believe it. I just believe it the whole time. Yeah. And I think it helps because he's got such a distinctive voice as well. Yeah. And he's got a really nice rhythm to his voice, the way the voiceover, you could listen to it all day. He's just got this beautiful rhythm to it all the way through. And I think something which I thought about as well when you said there, John, that even after he's caused all this wreckage, Henry Hill, you still kind of feel sorry for him towards the end, you know, like with uh, Paulie uh, turning his back on him and so on and so forth. And I think what I've just occurred to me is that because these people are so disgusting you know like jimmy conway and tommy devito and all the rest of them and he's kind of thrown in it's like a bomb going off and just disrupting this thing that they've got going on it's all been going quite smoothly and they've always had it their way and then all of a sudden you got this like wild kid and his wild wife thrown into the mix and it's like they've just fractured everything they've ruined everything for everybody so i think maybe i don't know maybe that's has some bearing on the fact that he actually towards you and he's still, okay, Henry Hill is a bad person, but you know, he's uh he kind of brought down a big section of the mob there, you know, just wow. kind of accidentally just because he's completely reckless all the way through it. Well and Henry Hill, I, I mean I can't believe if you want to talk reckless, I mean the guy was in witness protection. You know, I'm watching him on like Blu-ray special features sitting next to Ray Liotta talking about it, talking about how he he gave, you know, De Niro, you know, advice on, you know, what Jimmy Conway did because De Niro would would contact me like, oh, okay, you know, how did he do this? How did he do that? And he would give him that information. And Henry Hill, you know, talks about it. And he says that, you know, he 
thought that he was going to die every day and it was crazy life. Um, you know, and he, he did this to, you know, talk about his life. And, and he also says he did it cause he got paid <laughs> and it's just like, yeah. I'm just kind of like, well, and cause he was bored too. I yeah. mean, like my blue heaven is about Henry Hill also. So like, I thought we were talking about this being kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. The Nicholas Pelleggi and Nora Ephron were married and <laughs> she heard Pelleggi talking to Henry Hill on the phone so much that she kind of ended up deciding to write this movie herself um, on the comedic side uh, of this idea of this kind of guy who's like a gangster that's in witness protection and just can't stay in it because he's too, you know, bored with, with this slow life and keeps trying to like do gangster shit and witness protection and and it's kind of like the funny take on it and i just thought that was so interesting well it's crazy because it's so that film my blue heaven is is the, the steve martin yes. yes steve martin's character oh, right. no, okay crazy yeah. right steve no, martin's, i did not know that yeah. yeah the steve martin character is basically based on henry hill this guy who's oh, in in witness protection and can't stand it because it's too slow and he can't get good yeah. Italian food. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think actually that's what Henry Hill said is that he ordered spaghetti and got noodles and ketchup or something. Yeah. And he was disgusted. <laughs> so he couldn't deal yeah. with it. Well, at the end, it's like when we see, you know, Henry Hill in like the suburban neighborhood, you know, and I, I was thinking about my blue heaven this time. It's like that suburban neighborhood looks very much like the suburban neighborhood that we see Steve Martin end up yeah. in my blue heaven. Now also Karen and Henry Hill, you know, they said got divorced, right? What happens, you know, right near the beginning of my blue heaven, the wife leaves cause she can't deal with it. Yeah. Well, and he's no picnic because oh, he doesn't no. know how to do anything except be a gangster. He doesn't know. He's never been a legit person and he never wanted to be. He thinks that's for losers. So you get this so person. Essentially, My Blue Heaven is a sequel to Goodfellas. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. Right? That'll be a good double bill. Right? <laughs> yeah. I love Rick Moranis, too. He's so good. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but I thought that was so weird um, because it's really based on, like, the real guy and experiences with the real guy because Pelleggi was on the phone with him all the time writing Wise Guy, you know. And then Nora Ephron was listening to these conversations and just being like, this guy's a trip and I could write a comedy of this. So really brilliant. Well, there's something else you told me, Georgia, and I, I don't know if you knew this. So Al Pacino was actually offered the role of Jimmy Conway and said no okay. because he didn't want to be typecast. And then he ended up doing Dick Tracy, right? And, the same year. Right? Well, that's what's crazy. So we looked at Joe Pesci's Oscar acceptance speech for Best Supporting Actor, okay? And Joe Pesci had no idea that he was actually going to win. So he gets up and he's just like, basically like, uh, thank you. It's an honor and a privilege. And he leaves. Like, that's it. That's all he says. You know, I'm paraphrasing, but that's it. But the people he was up against were Andy Garcia for Godfather 3. <laughs> yeah. 
he was up against Al Pacino for his part in Dick Tracy. Which is kind of ludicrous that he was nominated for that because I don't think people think of that movie anymore in a positive light. And it was very cartoony. It was a different vibe. Um, and it's funny that he turned it down because yeah. he didn't want to be typecast as a gangster, but then he played Big Boy Caprice with all this yeah. prosthetic makeup on and stuff, which is a much more cartoony Italian gangster part. Um, it's for- interesting. It's interesting to think about if Pacino played Conway um, and what he would have done with it. I love Pacino, but I think De Niro is the right choice because I think De Niro is more understated. Because Pacino yeah, did the understated thing in Godfather, you know. He oh man, what he did in Godfather was so understated that I I don't even know how he's transmitting his emotions to us. <laughs> it's just like he's so deep inside of himself. Well, don't give away the yeah. story because we're doing Godfather soon. I know I won't, <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's it's a whole other thing. But the the fourth person that was nominated for best supporting actor was Bruce Davison. Which had nothing to do with mobsters at all, and also Graham Greene for Dances Graham with Green. Wolves. Dances with Dances Wolves. with Wolves right. is what actually won everything that year. So yeah, it cleared up, didn't it? Yeah, it took Best Picture, Best Director, Editing. So, so yeah, Schoonmacher didn't win for this, which is kind of tragic. She should win for everything she does. <laughs> she probably should. she should. I mean, uh, she she's unbelievable. I, I watched uh, The Wolf of Wall Street again recently. And how on earth she edits Scorsese's pictures <laughs> is beyond me. You know, I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, that film alone, I think they, they shot almost seven hours of footage, usable footage, and then they had to edit it down to four hours. It's still too long, so they had to edit it down to three hours. But wow. oh, phenomenal. Editor. I mean, she's won, but I think she won about three Academy Awards and they've all been for Scorsese pictures. Yeah. I, so far. But this one in particular, I just feel like, gosh, she should have been recognized in. You know, I'm yeah. not saying Dances with Wolves is a bad movie. It's a great movie. I haven't seen it in a million years. Maybe it's not anymore. But, like, when I saw it, yeah, it was good. But it's not good fellas. No, I mean, you don't really hang no. out with your buddies. Like, oh, let's get that Dances with Wolves going, you know? <laughs> no. But let's get the four-hour director's cut. Let's... <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> Goodfellas is on halfway through. It doesn't matter. Forget that. We'll carry on watching this. <laughs> But if it's the postman, I mean, that's a whole other oh, no. story. Definitely. Waterworld. Yeah, Waterworld. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But it's, I, I don't know. The movie didn't get, I, I feel like at the time, all of the love that it should. But it did come later. But that's not uncommon. You know, Citizen Kane, we bring up that example yeah. all the time. You know, some of these movies just take a while, you know, They're for people to They're before their time, them. I yeah. think. I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This was so innovative and so influential and and different in the way it was telling the story that i do think it took people a little bit of time to catch up and i do think that it has borne out and has a huge legacy now you know that that people are always going to be mentioning this as one of the top movies of all time i think yeah. and i think i think the the preview audiences uh, hated it you know they were disgusted with the amount of bad language in it and violence and everything and they got really bad feedback and Scorsese had to really battle for the, the violence and he had to justify why it was so graphic and why it was necessary to keep it as it was and it is necessary you know it's not he's doing every everything he can to show these guys who they were you know it's, it, one one of the things that I think is completely 
um, off is when people say that he glamorizes violence and he glamorizes certain lifestyles. He's had the same thing about the Wolf of Wall Street film and Casino. But I don't think he does at all. I, th I think he shows how glamorous a lifestyle is, but that's completely different to glamorizing it, if you know what I mean. It is a glamorous lifestyle. They've got a lot of money. They've got a lot of uh, prestige and so on and so forth. But he, do he doesn't glamorize anything. I mean, The Wolf of Wall Street is, is vile. Have you seen The Wolf of oh, Wall yeah. Street? Oh, it's yeah. Just, yeah, it's, it's just a, a vile film. You know, it's horrible all the way through, and it's it's... it's dirty and ugly and horrible but the guy had a lot of money so obviously he's going to have a glamorous lifestyle but that's that's not glamorizing same with goodfellas it just completely stripped all this kind of in here like we say you know we're comparing it to the godfather which inevitably you, you do because they're both great uh, mob films but they just pulls apart completely i mean the godfather is it's almost operatic it's so uh, so big and it's like a big tragedy and you know, it's on a completely different um, different level, I think. And then you watch Goodfellas and, you know, you've got Jimmy Conway paying off cops with packs of Palma with, you know, a few dollars stuffed inside and stuff like that. It's completely street level. It's just completely, complete opposite films. It just happens to be in the same kind of genre, that's all. Yeah. It's like a morality story, I, I feel like, that we get. Because we yeah. see, you know, yeah, we, you have money. You have this great house. You have all of these things that look so appealing to the outside, but your inside life sucks. Yeah. You are just a complete waste of space, and you're not happy. You might bullshit yourself into saying you're happy by buying a few more things, but it's like you're going to jail. You're going to rehab. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you're not, you're, hell, you're going to the grave. There's nothing that's good about this stuff in the end. And I, I feel like that's what he always shows us in his films is, yeah. yeah, he does show you the highs, you know, like in Goodfellas, like for me, again, my, my biggest thing that I want is I want to sit down at Polly's house and eat that meal. You know, that's <laughs> what I want to part. Yeah, You're always looking delicious. for a good meatball. Yeah. I am, but, but you know, yeah, but no, I think it's, <laughs> it's the perception thing. It's an audience perception thing. And, and I particularly think that Wolf of Wall Street is a good comparison because I know a lot of people who completely missed the mark watching that movie and just think that that's, you know the kind of person they want to be and i'm like whoa yeah. you really did not get the point that scorsese was trying to make yeah. <laughs> um, and i think that can happen with us too is that you know we are supposed to kind of fall in love with the life a little bit along with karen and henry but we then are supposed to see like what the cost is and you know understand that even though it looks great from afar the closer you get the more you see the cracks and the more you see the danger and the dirtiness and the discomfort and the way that this is nothing that anybody should ever want and it's you know if people <laughs> fail to get close enough to it to really confront what they're really seeing then they just see the glamour and they think he's glamorizing but I fully agree that his total point here is to show that this isn't glamorous at all, that, you know, it just has the the facade of that, but it's really just a false front. It's guys working their ass off and it's like they're getting by and, and you know, it's like they squeak ahead here or there, but there's always some kind of setback. And it also shows you how just they're emotionally numb. 
I mean, you know, they're doing these horrible things, just like, you know, they're going in and doing a shift at the office, you know, like when they're, you know, setting up the bamboo lounge, you know, they're getting it rigged up so that they can burn it. They're just talking like it's a regular day. It's like, oh, okay. So they yeah. do that. And that's how they're out sitting there waiting for it to catch. Yeah. And and Tommy's telling them, I need you to go on this date with this girl because right. I'm, you know, she won't go with me again unless I get her friend to date and all this. And he's just like, you know, <laughs> Henry's getting mad at him. And they're like having this heated conversation. They don't realize the building is about to burn down behind them. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great scene. It looks funny how you just see the smoke start trailing out of the doors and everything, and the alarm starts to go off. No, oh, better go. <laughs> it's great. It's perfect. It is. It, it's just it reminds you again, like at work. You know, you're in the office, you're doing your job, you just start bullshitting with somebody. You're not paying attention to what you're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're like, "Oh my god, I got to go back." Yeah, but that's the thing. Like they they think that they're so so much better than normal, you know, average Joes working for a living. But they're not like they're hustling constantly to stay above water. And then not only do you have to worry like, oh, am I going to get fired? Am I going to be able to pay my bills? You're like, have to worry like, am I going to get murdered? Yeah. Yeah. When you make the money and you like every single scene, every single scene, Henry Hill is giving away money. So let's say you make this huge score. Like, I would like to know what the daily tally is on how much money you need to give away. Well, look what happened. As soon as he wasn't able to keep bringing it in, what happened when he was in jail? Yeah. They didn't have anything. It's not like he made all this money so they were set for life and they had plenty of savings. They end up in, like, this one-room apartment, you know, Karen and yeah. the kids while he's in jail because he can't. he's not there to hustle. So, you know, it's not like they're building a future here. It's just like they're keeping up, you know, with the lifestyle that they have chosen. Well, and Polly is like, again, there's so much to Polly because I don't know why. I always trust him. He just seems like he has it together. You seem like, okay, he's the rock. He's our father figure. You know, he looks after Henry. And I always remember the part where, you know, he tells Henry he has to go home. He's like, you've been gone for a while, but everybody goes home. This is what's going to happen. You know, you got to go, go kill somebody first on a vacation. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, then, you know, you, like go, you go to Florida, relax. And then hard cut. Boom. Yeah, yeah. And then they're killing a guy. Yeah, yeah. Hanging a guy over the uh, line. Yeah. <laughs> and well, it's just like, so you see that. And, and it's just like, but what Polly says in that scene, he's like, I'll talk to Karen. I know exactly what to tell her, especially with her. I know what to tell her. And I'm like, whoa, okay, that's fucked up. And then it, it also makes the gears turn in your head a little bit about what exactly is your relationship with Karen? You, you know what I mean? For me. And then it's like when Henry's in jail, he doesn't look after Karen and the kids at all. Mm -hmm. But Henry is like, oh, that's the way it is. Like Henry accepts it. And he's like, oh, no, we're still friends. But it, it's really Polly just cares about Henry. And it, it's it's very, very creepy. It, it's very creepy, again, because everything is around this idea of family. Karen's all alone. She thought that, like, you know, this extended mob family was her family. It's not. No, she's a tourist. Yeah. yeah. Last thing I want to bring up is Tootie. 
So this is a funny story. So I was in college, you know, good fellas. We're all about it all the time. You know, fuck you, pay me the best. You know, like you don't get better than fuck you, pay me. We, you know, if one more piece of mail from that kid's house, you know, if one more piece, yeah, yeah. piece of mail from the school gets to that kid's house into the fucking oven, you go, you know, it, that we enjoyed all that. But Tootie was a character that we really enjoyed. And I ended up with Tootie as a nickname, which was really good. So I, I had that for a while in college. And there was a restaurant right near our college that actually closed down. And we used to go there all the time. But the marquee is actually something <laughs> that you could climb up to. So it was just like one night, the guys are like, oh, yeah, let's go on out to the bar. You know, let's go on out to the bar. And we walked by, you know, this old restaurant. And we looked up at the marquee. And they're like, we put something up there for you, John. And up on this marquee, they wrote out, way to go, Tootie. <laughs> it is ridiculous but it's a very fun story yeah but no we we couldn't stop what's your favorite line what's your favorite line mr christopher my favorite line in goodfellas i really like just because it kind of sums him up is a paulie might have moved slow but that's because paulie didn't have to move for anybody i just think that just it's just perfect and it just sums him up and then it shows him eating that sandwich and he's kind of like chewing like he's got this kind of zebra thing going on with the way he chews. <laughs> and, uh, zeb- yeah, you know, he's, he looks like he's, he's chewing cud. <laughs> he does have a And it's just brilliant. Part. But I love, I, yeah, but I just, I do love that line. I just think it's just a great little line that's kind of just dropped in there. But it just, it just sums the guy up and, you know, it's like that. Doesn't have to move for anybody. I liked at the, it was early on and it was a voiceover line when Henry was still a kid and he says uh, it's after he gets beat up the kid gets beat up and he says everybody takes a beating sometimes and I just felt like that's just kind of his whole attitude throughout the whole thing like yeah. it's worth it to him to take the bad so he can get the good and that's like his whole perspective and why he wants to get in on this lifestyle because you know, if you have to get a few black eyes to live this, he's willing to do that at first. And I think it just really sums things up well. And also the way Ray Liotta says it is just primo. <laughs> like, Yeah, he elevates yeah. the material. Yeah. Which is already is. good. Which is already, yeah, it's crazy. What's yours? Well, mine, you know, it's, it's nonverbal. My favorite is when he's busted. And they got him like at the police station and they bring in all the drug stuff, you know, from Sandy's house. And the guy kind of goes into the strainer and he just like, you know, licks his finger, puts it in there and puts it to his mouth. And he just looks up and he's like, yeah. it's like the scariest. Yeah. That to me is like. Yeah. And then I, it I think cuts to Ray Liotta and he knows he's screwed. Oh, he's done. And that's bye bye, Dick. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Baking a cake? Welcome to Attica, Dick. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, like all of it. Like, I mean, there isn't we had the same thing too in college. We couldn't stop. We couldn't stop talking about it. Yeah. But you know, the the funniest thing was Paul Sorvino, who we love so much, he didn't know that he had like this killer inside of him. And so he said he was really pushing hard to find it. He kind of wanted to get out of the project. He's like, I don't know. 
and he said it was like maybe a couple nights before he was supposed to start shooting. He went by the mirror when he was going out. He said he wanted to see if he had spinach in his teeth. And he caught a look that, that he gave, and he scared the shit out of himself. And he was like, ah, now I've got it. And that, that was all he needed. Nice. And then he was just locked in to that zone. So it was very easy for him to be there. And you can feel that ease in his performance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great. He was really great. Because I, I always imagine Paul Savino to kind of be, you know, in real life, to be kind of be this kind of big teddy bear. Yes. It's like he's he looks very personable and, you know, he seems very nice. And then I saw this quote from um, when Harvey Weinstein got busted and everything. And his daughter, Mara Savino, was one of the girls he was supposed to. Mm. And uh, he, he just came out with this kind of Paul Cicero quote <laughs> and said, you know, it's a good it's good for Weinstein that he's actually in prison and he's not near me kind of thing. And I thought, well, that's the sort of thing that Cicero would say, you know. <laughs> he would rip him apart. Yeah. He would rip him apart. Oh, he would. Oh, yeah. I'd pay good money to see him. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all would. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, We're I We're desensitized yeah. now, though, because we just watch Goodfellas, so... We are, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. I'll tell one one more thing before I go. Um, a, a, a story that Scorsese said about Paul Cicero, the you know the guy in real life, and he said the line where it says that he he didn't have uh, telephones. He hated telephones in the house, and he said it went beyond that. He said he didn't have telephones. He didn't go out anywhere. He didn't go to the movies. He didn't go to restaurants or anything. He was very kind of closed in, mm-hmm. and he said that he heard when they were making Goodfellas, he heard from somebody who knew Henry Hill and everything, it might have even been Henry Hill who said it, said that Paul Cicero, the only time he knew of that he went to the movies was when a load of his wise guys said, we've just been to see this movie, Mean Streets, you need to come and see this movie, and they physically dragged him to go to the cinema to watch Mean Streets. Wow. And then Scorsese heard about this on the set of Goodfellas. He was like, oh, that's, that's great, you know. That's really good. Oh, wow, that's funny. So, yeah, Paul Cicero saw, saw Mean Streets, apparently. Oh, I got interesting. One, I'm sorry. I got one more. The Frank Vincent thing. What about it? Okay, so get this. Frank Vincent, he says in an interview that people think that he's kind of like the real thing. He's a real gangster. And he said, right. you know, people would come up to him and, and they'd be like, how could you let that little guy, you know, talk to you like that? How, <laughs> how, could, how could you do that? You know, and he was just like, yeah, yeah, okay. You know what I mean? And he's like, and he says that this other guy was like, yeah, and you know what? What's with the language in that? You know, all the f this, f that. Why do you do that? <laughs> and he's like, I, you know, it's like I'm hearing this from a guy that probably killed like twenty, twenty five people. <laughs> you know, and, and then he said that the best one was that there was a teacher that talked to him, and she was dead serious, and <laughs> she said to him, "I want to know how you were able to breathe in the trunk." you know, for so long. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, he goes, uh, and he's like, I couldn't believe this was real. And he goes, yeah, he goes, I told her, I, you know, I just, I had a straw, you know, and I just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I oh love my it. Goodness. Oh, so but that, I suppose that's, you know, that's, uh, that just shows just how gripping this film, how absorbing this film is, you know, when you're watching it. So it's so believable, these characters, when you watch them. Yeah. It... That's gone too far. I mean, did she really think he was in the trunk while they were shooting the whole kitchen scene? <laughs> That's what he said the interview bit. And I really, I was just like, wow. Yeah, I mean, he seems... yeah you can believe it. Yeah. <laughs> He's, and you know, it is like what you talked about earlier. The, the comeuppance is, is, you know, enormous. 
in Casino. Another movie, but yeah, because yeah, he, he does gets his revenge later. And he, I think I actually saw an interview where he said he was happy that he finally got to get him. <laughs> yeah, funny. Because he gets it. He gets it in a Raging Bull as well. Joe Pesci beats the hell out of him in Raging Bull as well. Hard. The cab door. Yeah, like boom, that, boom, yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah, I was really glad so when, it, when, when the Irishman came out and Joe Pesci got to play a calm part for once. Right? <laughs> yeah. He's always playing like this hot-headed little dude. Didn't you say it was going to be Polly or something? Yeah. What was that? I think I saw that he was considered for Polly or yeah, I think, or maybe maybe Jimmy. I don't know. Maybe Polly, but I think that you know. At that point, I think everybody just thought of Joe Pesci as like this little hot-headed guy who's just cussing up a storm and, you know, hair trigger. You had my cousin Vinny as well, didn't you? Yeah. Great movie. You know, and he was the same in that, you know. So, But yeah, I think he took a lot of convincing for The Irishman, didn't he? Because he didn't want to be typecast. But like you say, it's completely, completely different for him. Yeah. He's so good. All right. Anything else, John? I think... I am good. Anything else, Christopher? I'm good. Yeah. I'm great. Yeah, this was a really great conversation. Yeah. It's one of these movies that's just so rich um, that I just looked at the clock and realized we've been talking for, you know, two hours and I'm shocked. Yeah. Because it just doesn't feel like it. And it's the same thing when you're watching this movie. It goes so fast. Flies. Um, but yeah. yeah, thanks for joining us so much. This was a great talk. Yeah. Um, about a great movie. And we enjoyed having you. Um, remind our listeners where they can locate you if they want to hear more of your opinions or read more of your work. Well, you can subscribe for free at uh, christopherwitty.substack.com. And I'm also on Instagram, Film Folk UK or Book Folk UK, depending what you taste are, books or films or both. And uh, you can see my unwanted opinion on both. <laughs> <laughs> or unasked, unasked for opinion, you should say. It's great writing. It's definitely wanted. I, I love reading what you have to say. So A lot of good um, insight. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah, really, really smart stuff. So thank you so much for joining us again. And uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we will be back next week mm. with We Think Heat. Heat. Um, Michael to, Mann. Uh, to continue our crime month um we're taking de niro with us and this time we're picking up pacino that's nice of us because i really like pacino and i'm glad he can be with us (laughs) yeah yeah it's a good month for him to show up uh for crime month because he does a lot of great crime movies and there's something about a big ass i think in heat that really is wonderful (laughs) it's a ridiculous laugh Well, we're looking forward to that. We uh, This is a movie that John loves that I have kind of been dragged along to. Oh, how can you a few not times, love But uh, it's grown on me over He's the years. amazing, so, right? I don't know. Yeah. I think I was just tired of crime movies, but it's crime movie month, so I have to get over it. All right. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, we'll talk to you guys then. Uh, until then, as always, stay comfy. Stay comfy, everybody.